Morning, church. Let's pray. Father, it is always good to be here on Sunday mornings, always good to sing your praises, always good to uh, preach the gospel to ourselves and one another in song, remembering the works of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and in his empty tomb, always good, and we are so thankful that you granted us to be here this morning. We're especially thankful for the opportunity to consider the passage before us and to find you to be once again the greatest weaver of tapestries. As we all are coming here this morning from a variety of circumstances, some bringing great joys with us, Others' confusion. Others' troubled hearts. Others even despair. You are putting before us a passage that will remind us that Jesus is the one-size-fits-all solution. He is exactly what we need. Thank you for your truth, and we pray for your Spirit's help as we consider the Scriptures, that He would grant us to see ourselves in this text, and to see the Lord Jesus clearly, and to walk in light of the things that we see, even to see our lives through the lens of this passage, and to believe the truth all the more. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and this morning we are considering the last passage in chapter 10. And also the last passage in this section of Mark that has extended from 827 through the end of chapter 10. So we are in a transition passage this morning. So as you're finding your place there, please stand with me. We'll read Mark 10, 46 through the end of chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You may be seated. message that you're about to hear likely would not see the light of day in many churches, and not because uh, I'm going to say anything untrue, but a message like this might be labeled irrelevant by a lot of people, irrelevant in the sense that there, there will be no direct practical instruction on everyday life. Those of you who may have troubled marriages, you're not going to hear anything that will help you in a practical way with that. Those of you who have parenting difficulties, uh, money problems, you, you name it, there, there's going to be nothing here this morning, nothing like a, a, a step one, step two, step three of how to deal with this problem or that problem. And yet, we, we find on a weekly basis that the Lord puts in front of us the passage that we need to hear. And it is likely the case that those of us who have those kinds of issues, what we need more than anything this morning is to put that aside for the time being, for perhaps an hour, and to have our eyes set on the Lord Jesus to be reminded of who He is and what He does. So that when we're done, we see everything in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And I would contend that when we do that, we, we find that passages like this one, messages like this one, end up being the most relevant messages that could be preached. Because who Jesus is, what Jesus does, is the most relevant thing in the world. This is the only story in Mark where the evangelist names the person that Jesus heals. He never does that anywhere else. The last person in the book of Mark that Jesus heals. But he names him. And that reminds us that we have a real person here, a person with a story, a person with a past. It makes the whole thing more personal. It perhaps reminds us of our stories. And I would, I would encourage you with me for just a moment here to remember your blindness before you came to the Lord Jesus in faith. 
you remember? You, you didn't know what you couldn't see. You didn't, you didn't know what you didn't know. Stumbling in the dark, having no hope and without God in the world. But then, the God who says, let light shine in the darkness, He shone in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you had life and sight, and you followed him. The man in this text, his name is Bartimaeus, but his story is your story. And the placement of this passage in this gospel serves to remind us that everyone is blind. Everyone needs the son of David. And it poses for us the question, who will like Bartimaeus, call out to him for mercy and receive sight? And who will, like the leaders of Jerusalem, going into chapter 11 and beyond, who will, like the leaders of Jerusalem, reject him and remain in darkness forever? This passage, it not only deals historical facts out to us, but it presents to us Theological truth, theological truth which calls us to respond. Jesus Christ is the prophesied son of David who brings sight to the spiritually blind. Will we call out to him for mercy? Will we follow him or will we reject him as Jerusalem does? To those of us who have already received sight, how will that affect the rest of our lives? Will we follow Jesus in His mission to bring sight to the spiritually blind around us? Or will we continue in our former manner of life? Before we get into the, the text that we've just read, we, we actually need to do a little bit of homework because there are some concepts in this passage that may be a bit foreign to us. So we're going to do some Old Testament homework and the first big thing that we need to understand is that Bartimaeus is emblematic of humanity. That's the first point in your notes if you have them. Bartimaeus is emblematic of humanity. Bartimaeus is a real man. He really lived. But we've noted over and over that the literal diseases that Jesus has been healing in Mark they are pictures of deeper spiritual realities that Jesus came to address. And we've seen already in Mark that blindness is a metaphor for a lack of spiritual understanding. You may remember back in chapter 8 that just after healing the 4,000, which came just after Jesus healing the 5,000, the disciples were looking at one another preoccupied with the fact that they forgot to bring bread on a short jaunt across the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember this? And what did Jesus say to them? Do you remember? He said, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Again, he's talking about spiritual understanding. And Jesus, by using that metaphor of eyes that don't see, he's, he's simply echoing the words of the Psalms and the prophets because this idea of blindness and deafness as a metaphor for spiritual incapacity. This is a broad, a broad biblical theme. 
we think back to the creation, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, we're reminded that, that God's been, God created us in His image, and we, we were created to image Him, that is to, to display to all creation God's character, to, to, to show the world what He is like. Of course, in Genesis chapter 3, that whole thing was short-circuited, and it's not that we no longer image anything, but but. We're imaging something other than God. We're just not imaging Him perfectly. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. If you're taking notes, you might write that down. Romans 1, 22 and 23, referring to the fall of man, tell us that man exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Man exchanged God for idols. Just a little bit further down in, in that passage in Romans chapter 1, we find that they, and he's talking, he's talking about humanity, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. In other words, in the fall, man was choosing to worship created idols rather than the creator God. And the Bible teaches that worship has ramifications. And here's a primary ramification of our worship. You become like what you worship. That's worth writing down. It's not in your notes, but it's worth writing down. You become like what you worship. Worship God, adore God, love God above all things. You will become more like God and more accurately image Him. Worship idols and you'll become like those idols. We actually find the authors of the Bible putting that idea in front of us explicitly. Listen to Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is not a unique passage, Psalm 115. I don't have time to read all the rest of them, but it's a broad theme in in the Scriptures, Psalms, the the prophets. You become like what you worship. And man has worshipped created things, idols that have eyes but do not see, and so man has become like his idols, having eyes but not seeing. That means having no spiritual insight, no spiritual understanding, no grasp of his dire spiritual situation or need. He thinks he's okay. And he thinks that because he's spiritually blind. Here's how Paul put it in in Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened in other words, that they did not image God, but they imaged, imaged their blind, foolish, false gods. Just like these gods that can't think, so also man became, came to the place where he could not think. This is precisely why we live in a culture, in a, in a world that calls evil good and, and good evil. Humanity is blind because of its false worship, because of its, its rejection of the one true God. 
And what's worse, if you continue reading in Romans chapter 1, which I would encourage you to do, you find that this rebellion leads to one place, and that is eternal judgment. And Paul, in concert with the rest of the, the, the biblical authors, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he leaves no wiggle room for any one individual. But Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, puts all humanity in that same basket. There is none who understands. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Not even one. All humanity, all are helpless, spiritually blind beggars under the condemnation of God. Bartimaeus is emblematic of humanity. So everyone in this room is either blind or formerly blind. Your your next door neighbor, the next door neighbor on your your right. What 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 are their names? If you don't know their names, I would I would just ask you why. Why don't you know their names? But the, those on your right, those on your left, the ones across the street, ones behind you, all of them either blind or formerly blind. The 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 new person at work. The old veteran at work, all of them, either blind or formerly blind. Now, the, 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 there, are, there are many other true things that you could say about all of these people, but the most fundamental thing that you could say pertains to this issue of spiritual blindness. If they are formerly blind, why formerly? Well, because, because you, because they have encountered the Son of David. A significant element of this passage is that it combines healing of blindness with the coming of the Son of David. And that, that Son of David piece, that's another, that's another homework assignment that we need to do before we get into the text here. What does the Son of David have to do with the healing of blindness? Well, here's a second point that we want to glean from the, the Old Testament Scriptures. The Son of David is the only hope of the blind. The Son of David is the only hope of the blind. The concept of a coming son of David originates in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I would ask you to turn there with me if you have your Bibles. 2 Samuel chapter 7. David may be the most consequential figure in the Old Testament. His name is used more than Moses and Abraham put together. About 40% of all the historical material in Samuel and Kings is about David. Other kings of significance, other kings who served approximately the same number of years as David, kings like Uzziah and Manasseh, they receive only about 20 verses each compared to this voluminous report about David. David is key in the Old Testament, and we find in 2 Samuel 7 that his son, promised in 2 Samuel 7, will far exceed him in significance. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, says the Lord speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name 
and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be to Him a father, and He shall be to me a son. When He commits iniquity, I will discipline Him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from Him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now Solomon, who was David's son, did take the throne after him, but the following history of David's line through Solomon is one of disaster. If you want to find out about that, just continue reading in Samuel and Kings. You'll find that this cannot be fulfilled in Solomon. In fact, if we, we then go on and read the prophets, we see definitively that the second Samuel 7 promise was not fulfilled in Solomon, but all the prophets, they continue to look for a coming son of David who will bring an eternal kingdom as was promised here. And the, the prophets, they, they loaded that coming kingdom with all kinds of glorious expectations including the healing of blindness. Now turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42, the, the, the theme of the healing of the blind in this coming kingdom is, is really heavy in Isaiah. You can read about it in chapters 29, 35, 42. We're, we're just going to look at chapter 42. We'll look at Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 6. And here Isaiah records a prophetic word from Yahweh to this coming servant king, Isaiah 42, 6. The Lord says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteous, righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The, the, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, is going to be overcome by the kingdom of God with the Son of David on the throne, giving sight to the spiritually blind and bringing them back to the, the soul worship of Yahweh. Now notice there in verse 7, there are multiple metaphors at play. They're opening the eyes of the blind, bringing out prisoners from the dungeon. This son of David is a liberator. He frees people, frees them from imprisonment, frees them from blindness. Now, how does he do that? How is the son of David going to do that? How does he free them? Turn over now to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. The section that I'm going to read from in Isaiah 53 actually begins in Isaiah 52, verse 13, but we don't have time to read the whole thing. We'll begin reading in Isaiah 53, verse 2. Isaiah 53, verse 2. And here again, he's talking about this, this Davidic king. For he grew up before him, before the Lord, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now, if, you, if you're taking notes, write down 11, Isaiah 11, real quick, just Isaiah 11, 
opening verses of that chapter. And what you'll find if you read that in your own time is you'll find a mirroring of the language between Isaiah 11 and this passage, Isaiah 53, which indicates that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is the son of David. As we continue reading, remember, the question that we want to know is, how does the son of David free people? How does he, make, how do, how does he give sight to the blind? How, how does he remove the, 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 the prisoner from, from, from prison? Verse 3, continuing, he, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, here's where we pick up the key. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, when we looked at 2 Samuel 7 just a moment ago, and we came to that part that read, When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of men. I will, I will discipline him. S- some of us may have thought, well, that part doesn't fit Jesus because Jesus never sinned. And that's exactly right. Jesus never committed iniquity, never even one time. But Isaiah 53, 6 clarifies for us that Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So th- this coming Davidic king, this son of David, he so identifies with his people that he takes their sin as his own and their penalty as his own. Verse 7 says that he is slaughtered. Going down to verse 10 says that he prolongs his days, indicating that there's life after his death. And later in Isaiah 53, we find that through his sacrifice of himself, he makes many to be counted righteous. You see, Isaiah 53 is is telling us how Jesus, how the son of David goes about freeing the captives, taking away their sin, giving sight to the blind. He does it by stepping into the place of his people. He offers himself as a payment for their sin. And through his suffering, they are healed from their spiritual blindness and they are reconciled to God to worship him forevermore. And listen, this is exactly what Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem to do. This is is what He's been saying over these last few chapters in Mark. Chapter 8, He said, I'm I'm going to do this. This is going to happen to me in Jerusalem. Chapter 9, these are the things that are going to happen to me in Jerusalem. Chapter 10, these are the things that are going to happen to me in Jerusalem. And He's the only one who can do it because He's the only Son of David. And Mark has been signaling throughout his gospel that People are still spiritually blind. It's not just the Jews of the Old Testament. But the people to whom Jesus was born, they're still spiritually blind. There's still this great need for the Son of David to bring His kingdom and to restore all things. 
Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. And by healing all manners of diseases, including restoring sight to the blind, Jesus has been signaling that he is the son of David who has come to recover sight to the spiritually blind. Jesus, the son of David, he is the only hope for the blind. What that means is that if you are blind, if you are spiritually blind, what you need more than anything is Jesus. The, the, the blind person that you work with, that person who is, who is, is spiritually blind, the, the, the blind person in your neighborhood, at school, wherever they are, what they need more than anything is to hear the truth about Jesus Christ as the Son of David. That Jesus alone could save man from sin and reconcile him to God. That Jesus alone gives sight to the blind. Who's telling them? Who else who works with them will tell them? Who else in the neighborhood will tell them? Someone told Bartimaeus. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this story recorded for us. And that, that moves us into the text now where we see that the son of David hears the cries of the blind. The son of David hears the cries of the blind. Jesus is passing along the road toward Jerusalem. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, he's sitting there. Now, we don't know from the text how long Bartimaeus has been, born, has been blind. Was he born blind? Did he become blind? The ESV, down in verse 52, uses the phrase, recover sight, but the, the Greek word underlying that word just means gain sight. So we don't know if he was born blind or if he became blind. Regardless, imagine his life day after day. He sits on the outskirts of Jerusalem because that's where the action is for beggars. You, you, can, you can catch these pilgrims as, as they're coming into the city to offer their sacrifices. And sometimes because of the nature of their journey, you find them in a generous mood. But you are dependent on everyone around you. You are dependent upon the compassion of sinners. That, that is just life. Day after day, that's what Bartimaeus does. He begs from people going to Jerusalem to make sacrifices. He's about to do it for the last time. Because here's a man going to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice. And Bartimaeus recognizes his name. Verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, remember, we've seen throughout Mark that Jesus' fame is spread all over Palestine. Consider what Bartimaeus has put together here. He has deduced that Jesus is the son of David. The, the, the homework that we've just done, all of that fell into place for him. Now, we'll find as we go into chapter 11, a lot of people believe that Jesus is the son of David. What, what Bartimaeus understands is what the son of David does for blind people. And any self-consciously blind per person who recognizes that Jesus is the Son of David and what the Son of David does will do exactly what Bartimaeus does. They will cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy me! And that, that's a great feature of, of this text. In the original language, mercy is just, it's just a one-word verb. Mercy me! 
what, what a glorious thing that mercy is a verb. Mercy is something that God does in Christ. The people around, of course, they reacted the way that people tend to in such situations. Verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Now, why, why would they do that? Well, I think if we, we consider the preceding context, that passage that we looked at last week, we'll be reminded that there is this throng following Jesus to Jerusalem. Remember last time, he, Jesus is obviously determined to go there. It's his, his determination to go to Jerusalem has actually created quite a spectacle. There are people amazed at His determination, people fearful because of His determination. But if we read the, the preceding three chapters closely, we'll, we'll recognize the twelve are the only ones that Jesus has told what is really going to happen in Jerusalem. The rest likely view Jesus' urgency to get to Jerusalem to be the urgency of an earthly Messiah going to set up His earthly kingdom. And so this crowd, they may be thinking, hey, blind guy, don't distract him. He, he's going to free us from Rome. He's got better things to do than mess with you. So pipe down. But Bartimaeus actually has a clearer view of Jesus than they did. He sees this is what the son of David does. And so, look at, look at the rest of verse 48. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! Now, wh what a scene this, this, this would be. All the fear of man out the window. You know, there's this tremendous social pressure for this man to be quiet. That, there's no fear of man. Any sensitivity to cultural norms, that's out the window. Social decorum out the window. Bar Bartimaeus knows, there's one son of David. There's only one. And Bartimaeus understands, I'm blind. That son of David, he's the only answer. And so what do you do in that situation? You cry out until your voice won't make another sound. How much more is that the case when you understand your blindness to be that of the soul and not just the eyes? Verse 49, and Jesus stopped said, call him. And they called the blind man and said to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, came to Jesus. Throwing off his cloak, that may make us think that he's wearing that cloak. That same word means throwing aside. It is more likely the case that it's throwing aside because that, that cloak would have been Bartimaeus' only tool of the trade, really. Similar to beggars in our culture, in our modern culture, who may put out a receptacle to, to catch the gifts of, of the generous who come upon them, the beggars of Palestine, they would spread out their cloaks on the ground to receive the gifts of people going by. And so at the end of the day, all you do is just you gather up your cloak and the money that's inside of it and you, and you go your way. And Bartimaeus hears Jesus calling. And in that instant, that cloak and all the money that's on it, that means nothing to him. And he, he can't see a thing, but he jumps up like he can. And he, he goes to Jesus. Why? Because there's one son of David. And this is his chance to be healed. 
Remember from last week how Jesus taught how, uh, uh, what greatness is in the kingdom. Do you remember this? Greatness is, is being slave of all. You want to be first in the kingdom, you're going to be the slave of all. Well, again, Jesus shows himself to be great because all these people uh, all, all around, they're telling this guy, look, be quiet. You, you are nothing and Jesus has better things to do. Now Jesus, again, says in 51, like he said earlier to James and John in the chapter, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Listen, this is the quintessential heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prepared to serve, lowly and compassionate. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Or let me gain my sight. Now, we've noted that, that, that all people, all people, are conceived in a state of spiritual blindness. Unlike Bartimaeus, most of them don't know it. They, they don't recognize their dire condition. Nor do they recognize that Jesus is, is the answer. Like the, the Jews, the Jewish leaders that we're going to see in Jerusalem, they think they see everything. It's, it's like Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, they're fools. And that is not... To, to demean them because as they are, we once were. But as, as here with Bartimaeus, God grants some to recognize their dire condition, to loathe it, to long for sight, to recognize the hope that is in Christ and to cry out to Him. And what this passage would say to us, would say to you, what the entire Word of God would say to you is that if you recognize today that you are blind, Christ is the only hope. Cry out to Him. He will hear you. He will. Those of us who have found mercy in the Son of David, what should we do? Well, we should pray for those who are still spiritually blind, that they would recognize their blindness. And, and as we pray, we should winsomely and lovingly, with hearts of compassion, and service, share the truth and point them to the light. Tell them of this son of David. We should tell our family and, and our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, if you cry out to him, he will hear. Now, just as Bartimaeus was urgent, and just as Bartimaeus was unashamed to cry out repeatedly because he knew this was his only opportunity we also should share the good news with a sense of urgency, being clear that the time is short. Isaiah 55, 6 reads, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him now and He'll hear you. But Because listen, on the other side of death, this compassionate Son of David will become the judge of those who have rejected Him in this life. And on that point, the author of Hebrews points us to the unholy Esau from the Old Testament and says of him that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought for it with tears. Call on him today, Scriptures would tell us. Call on him today. Those who do will find that the son of David opens the eyes of the blind. And that is the next point in your notes. He opens the eyes of the blind. Mark 10.52, Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well, and immediately he recovered his sight. 
your faith has made you well. We've heard that phrase before. We heard it back in chapter 5 when Jesus healed the woman with the, with the flow of blood. She, she'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and he said that to her. Now, when we studied that passage, I made the distinction between faith as an instrumental cause of salvation and God as the efficient cause of salvation. I'm not going to go through all of that again this morning because I don't have time, but you can find that on our website in the second message on Mark 5, verses 21 through 43. Mark 5, verses 21 through 43, the second message on that passage. I'll just say at, at this point that Jesus was the ultimate cause of her healing, of, of his healing, of Bartimaeus' healing, obviously. Bartimaeus is crying out to Jesus, and yet Jesus does not act where there is no faith. And an emphasis here in Mark is the necessity and significance of faith. And we have found, we have found faith to be part and parcel of Jesus' own preaching of the good news, the very first iteration of it that we found in Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, as Jesus is proclaiming the coming of the kingdom, what does He call those who hear to do in response? To repent and believe the good news. Why does He do that? Because He does not save. He does not save apart from repentance and faith. And Bartimaeus, we might say, is, is the picture of that childlike faith that Jesus taught about earlier in the chapter. Bartimaeus, he knows his need. He has no delusions of self-sufficiency. He knows he's completely dependent upon Christ. And by calling out to Jesus and asking for his mercy, he has exercised that dependence, that faith, that trust. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. He gives him his sight. This is the way of the son of David with spiritual blindness as well. Trust in what only he can do, which is to take upon himself the sin that blinds, the sin that separates, and to absorb God's wrath for that sin. Trust in him that, as Isaiah 53 teaches, you can be counted righteous in Christ. Trust in him and all of those things will be so. There is spiritual sight, spiritual life, and reconciliation to the Father in Christ alone. So trust in Him. As we've said, Bartimaeus is emblematic of all humanity in his blindness. He's also emblematic of the believer in that he receives his sight. He's emblematic of the believer also in that, in that the seeing follow the Son of David. That's our final point this morning. The seeing follow the Son of David the end of verse 52 again. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Remember that so much of Mark, in particular this last section, has been about following Jesus. And Bartimaeus does just that. Now what, what might we have deduced what might we have thought of Bartimaeus if he had received his sight, rejoiced, and then gone back to his beggar's cloak and sat down and continued with his old manner of life, begging beside the road? What might we have thought of that? We might have thought he has given every indication that he is still blind. 
But Bartimaeus does exactly what Jesus has prescribed and what the disciples themselves have done. Having believed in Christ, truly believed, he leaves everything and he follows Jesus on the way. And remember what, what way this is. This is the way to Jerusalem, the way to suffering and death. Bartimaeus is not like so many in our culture who, who purport to believe, who, who pray a prayer or respond to an altar call, who say, I believe, but then go back to their former manner of life. Their lives, their desires, their passions, their focus, priorities, they go completely unchanged to who give every indication that they are still blind. No, Bartimaeus followed Jesus because that's what the seeing do. They follow the son of David. They follow him in his mission, his message, his suffering, and his service. Now remember that the question implicitly posed by this passage due to its its placement in this this book, where it's put, is this. Will those in Jerusalem remain blind or will they call on the Son of David? That is the question to us as well. Will you remain blind or will you call on the Son of David? What about those who have already called on the Son of David? Those of us whose eyes have been opened and what should be our response to seeing this, this picture of conversion? I would suggest to you that our response should be twofold. First of all, rejoicing. Rejoicing that the Son of David, the Son of God, Jesus Christ has saved us and reconciled us to God. Those of you, those of you who are in the, the habit of, of reviewing your sermon notes on Mondays and throughout the week, thinking through these things, seeking to apply them, I would encourage you to do this. Spend some time thinking through your own conversion and walking through the, the, the steps that the Lord led you through. What factors did the Lord bring, bring into play to cause you to see that you were blind? How did He reveal that to you? And what influences did He bring into your life to to lead you to recognize who Jesus was? Meditate on your own conversion, what Jesus has done in your life, and rejoice. Second way for us to respond to this passage is urgency. Urgency to share Christ with the blind all around us. Again, think of those neighbors, the ones on your right, your left, in, in front of you, behind you, the new person at work, the the old veteran, all of these people. Let us have a sense of urgency because Bartimaeus, as Jesus is walking by, he realizes this is his one chance. We should have a sense of urgency as well because tomorrow is promised to no one. It's not promised to us and it's not promised to that person that we work with. It's not promised to our neighbor. Let us proclaim the Son of David to them and encourage them that if they cry out to Him, He will hear them and they will see. Let us call them to follow Him. Let's pray.
Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity once again to consider the Lord Jesus, what he has done, what he will do in the lives of those who call on him. Father, if there are any present who have recognized this morning that they are in a dire situation outside of Christ, would you please move them to call out to him as Bartimaeus did? Assure them, Father, that they will be heard, they will be healed, their sins will be forgiven, that they'll be reconciled to you. Just move them to follow Jesus with everything that they are. We pray, Father, that those of us who have followed Jesus, that we would, that we would have the sense of urgency that, that Bartimaeus demonstrates here. We would see everyone in our lives, everyone around us as either blind or formerly blind. And that we would see it as our greatest privilege and our greatest responsibility to be talking about Jesus, the Son of David, with everyone. Lord, help us to be faithful in these things. And help us to rejoice in the coming of the kingdom of the Son of David. We pray in His name. Amen.